Fuck it, we're doing it live. <laughs> the Bull and Moose Tavern coming at you. We're starting out that way. Do Let, we have an intro? No, we have no intro on a live show. No oh. music, none of that fun stuff. Jesus Christ, just a hard cut going live. Hard cut going live. Zero viewers, too. So it, that's... This, oh, good. So it wasn't too jarring for anybody. Yeah, I mean, who knows if we'll even get any viewers on our first live show. Well, we'll we, on, we only have seven people that listen to us regularly, so... Yeah, I mean, this might be just us doing a podcast live for no reason at all. Yeah, that's fine. You know, I mean, it's not like we're part of an entertainment group, you know, that has, you know, at least a dozen other people who have nothing better to do on a Friday night that, you know, could pitch in and and watch us live just to support us. But I know those assholes will probably just listen afterwards. And uh, I hope you're not you don't come in live because I want you to hear this rant later. Well, I mean, something. it's Independence Day and, you know, or it's Independence Day weekend. That's why we're doing a live show. We're actually going to do something different than we normally do and talk about uh, our belief structure. I'm the socialist. Aaron over there is the libertarian and we're going to debate some topics, but as we always start out, let's review our beer and I will tell the story this time because it's my story. So yeah, it's your uh, beer. I went on vacation a couple weeks ago down to Virginia. And as part of my vacation, I did a tour of Wegmans. So I had uh, my, grateful and very nice host bring me to the midlothian wegmans in richmond and i saw this devil's backbone schwartz beer black lager and he said it's a very good beer and he's like you don't have that in upstate new york and i'm like no i'm gonna buy it and tell aaron this is the beer we're drinking and uh that's what i did and on to your story of trying to find this beer yeah, so my magical uh, gas station didn't have it. Not too shocking, um, but, you know, they, they've come through in the past, but they didn't have it. So then went the uh, usual stomping ground. I thought I'd get smart and try the beer places first, who didn't have it, and uh, went to a couple other places and then saw that Wegmans did have the brand devil's backbone but didn't necessarily say that they had this one on the app they said they had a vienna lager and so i thought you know maybe i'll just try it so i went to wegman's went to go find it found where their brand is on the shelves got all excited and saw that they had the vienna lager and then an empty space and it said seasonal and i thought oh i could get lucky they may have a case in the back. So I got someone and was like, excuse me, what was the seasonal? And he was like, I don't know. I was like, well, was it a dark lager or was it like a light lager? He goes, oh, it was definitely dark. So I got all excited. I said, do you happen to have any in the back? And he looked at me and he was like, no, we only got a little bit and we sold out two days ago. Uh, I don't know if it was it, but it might have been. It was devastating, which is a sad story, but I have a fun one because I sometimes have a backup beer that we usually don't talk about, but every once in a while I'll get a backup beer. So I have also with me because it is 4th of July weekend and I felt like this was very festive, uh, 1911 watermelon mint hard cider. This was purchased yeah. at, at my, uh, 
magic uh magic land of uh gas station uh beer section and the story behind it just feeds into the fact that the beer selection at this gas station is magical um because i saw it on the shelf and there was only a four pack and there was there was no more of it so i was like ooh, this has got to be like a hot item and so I grabbed the four pack and I was like, I can't pass it up. It's too weird. It's too different. I got to try it. So I get a couple other things and, you know, I go to check out and the lady looks at it. And she goes, oh, that's weird. I've never seen that before. And she's like, are you are you buying that here? Like weird question to ask because I put it on the counter to be scanned. I was like, yeah, found it on the shelf over there. She goes, oh, I've never seen that before. And I was like, oh. Do you? It was the only one left, so I assume it's been popular. She goes, "Was it the only one left, or the only one there?" <laughs> and I was like, "Uh, weird question. Would that would that make a difference? How many do you normally get?" And she goes, "I." And this is the part that freaked me out. She goes, "I don't know. I've never seen anyone stock those shelves, so I I don't know what goes on at my gas station." Maybe there's some magical beer fairy that just shows up, you know, when no one, you know, when it's closed, which never it's never closed because it's 24 seven. So at some magical point in the middle of the night, I assume that magical beer fairies show up and drop off random assortments of beer. So, well, let's crack it open and try this thing. Absolutely. Schwartz beer. It smells good. it's definitely has that lager flavor to it but then it's got like a a bitterness that you don't normally get on a lager i have a i have a light bitterness but mostly i have a light flavor that i was not i was not expecting the flavor to be this light for something this dark like it kind of reminds me of like a molson maybe a little bit i was afraid that it wouldn't taste good because it sat outside your front porch for like 30 minutes, not even. And it had been in the fridge before I put it on my front porch. Perfect. So as easily skunked as possible. And Aaron, I would like to point out, we actually have one viewer. It looks like zero. Oh, oh sorry. They left. Right God, you, they sca- said, you scared oh. them away, Jake. I did. I God did. damn it. I scared them away. Um, I don't I don't know where you see these things, these details. Magical. Just, is it just on your host view? Is that where this it shit might shows just up? Be on my host view. I got nothing. I, I see myself. I see you. I see myself again. Yeah, I see myself which twice. No, which no one else can see. So it's great content. Great content. Oh, you know, we always put out the best rambling content on this uh this series here. Um it's <laughs> what we're known for. It is. Well, it's I was almost... thinking about it and it like the live doing our show live is not that big of a deal because we don't really edit our podcast anyway. And when I say we, I mean you, because I don't do any fucking work on this. This is I show up, I ramble and drink beer for an hour to two hours. And then you do what minimal work you end up doing. So here's the biggest edit I've started doing. <laughs> I've started using the app to remove silence to make our silence between things shorter because I was finding we were having periods where nothing was being talked about. 
like so that. so we got to get better at uh filling the awkward void that is yeah us. yeah we do but i'm gonna make it awkward again really quick before we start mm. this open discussion um and ask you do you like classic video games <laughs> uh who what person that lived through the 90s doesn't love classic video games Jake. Oh, there's gotta be someone out there that doesn't like classic video games to the gulag with them well, you know what? You wouldn't meet that person on Ridley's gaming realm, though, because this is an awesome Facebook page to discuss classic video games and trade classic video games. So this you, is the I, first time I'm hearing about them. Really? I feel like I've brought them up. Do you take a mind eraser at the end of each podcast? Well, normally you do the men in black thing, but you're oh. saying that they exist on the Facebook. Yeah, they exist on the Mark Zuckerberg's book face. No way. Yeah. You know, um, probably the reason we have no viewers right now is because I don't like the book face. So I didn't <laughs> advertise well enough on the book face. Isn't isn't that why we're part of an entertainment group now? Aren't they supposed to advertise for us? Oh, they advertise for us. But also people <laughs> might not have wanted to listen to us talk politics at all. Okay. So this might be the first live show with no viewers. Perfect. That's great. I mean, that's 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 our content. That's what we're known for. That's why you come to the tavern. You don't come to the tavern because you want to spend quality time with us. You come to the tavern when you want to drown your sorrows with other things that are going on. You want an escape from life. I want an escape from remodeling my bathroom. So I am at a tavern drinking a very decent black lager right now and probably going to have two of these during this discussion. Well, because I am the libertarian, I had to make sure that my beer had a flak jacket to keep itself cold. So, well, let's start talking politics because that's what the listeners did not come for. Yes, uh, today. So, um, this is fantastic. It's kind of funny. Usually, actually. I joke that we don't have any listeners, but to actually have no listeners is is mint. Yeah, it's great. Um. Yeah. Uh, So you wanted to talk about uh, UBI, universal basic income, as our first topic uh, from a socialist and libertarian point of view. Uh, So what are your thoughts on UBI? What what are my thoughts? You're throwing at me first? Yeah. I'm the one that does no research. You're the one that's supposed to come with facts and figures and understanding. And I'm just supposed to agree or disagree or come up with random things. Well, well, I guess for what my thought process on UBI is, is are we discussing adding it to our current system or are we just discussing it in the context of is it a good idea, you know, under any circumstances? Let's discuss it um, as in adding it to our current system. Okay. Um, well, Looking at it in terms of our current system, I would argue we already have UBI. Really? Yes. 100%. So people fall into a number of categories. I would throw out a number, but I can't do math that quickly. So you first have someone who is willing to work and able to work. That person gets a is guaranteed a basic income through minimum wage. Next, you have the person who is willing to work, but unable to work. That person falls under disability. So 
you are guaranteed an income through disability, or that person could also be retirement age. So then you're guaranteed an income through social security. Next, you have the person um, who is um, able to work, but unwilling to work. I classify that as someone fired or quit. They are guaranteed a set income through unemployment. And then finally you have um, unwilling to work and unable to work. And that falls under welfare and other social programs. If you need a form of income, I, you have to try not to get it. So that's where my argument is. We don't need UBI with our current system because while it's a hodgepodge and it's it's a different income level for those four categories, there is something that's already in place that covers almost every single person in America. I don't think that would be UBI as it's outlined. Um, so my understanding of UBI is that it would be a certain per- dollar amount given to every citizen in the United States in a monthly paycheck. Um, you know, I've heard a couple open discussions of like something like $250 a month to every single person in the United States or a thousand dollars a month to every person in the United States that makes less than $400,000 a year, things like that. Um, when it comes down to it, I don't fully support UBI, uh, as a concept, but I think I understand where it comes from. And it's a twofold thing. First of all, uh, as work gets roboticized, uh, self checkouts and stuff, uh, you will have less jobs available for people. Uh, it may not be the numbers that some economists predict that like it would be, you know, upwards of 50% of people unemployed, but this would be a way to get wages into those people's hands. Uh, the other way is just to help raise people out of poverty uh, that, you know, you're giving them a thousand dollars a month that they can pay for their housing or anything like that. Um With that, I think that UBI is a replacement for the fact our minimum wage has not kept up with the rate of inflation. Uh, If you look at the minimum wage, here's my facts and logic for you. Oh, thank you. Finally. Uh, Yeah, I got some facts and logic. Um, In 1970, the minimum wage was $1.85. If you converted that uh, into today's dollars, minimum wage would be at least 1284 at a federal level. Now that does not account for um, the fact that prices of things have increased housing, college, things like that. So minimum wage should at least be above that as well. And a UBI of a thousand dollars a month. Uh, if you look at that at working hours of 40 hours a week, uh, four weeks in a month is about six twenty-five an hour extra in pay. So where I think the big push for UBI comes from is more towards, hey, we can't get our employers to pay us what we want. So we're going to, you know, ask for the government to come in and supplement some wages that our employers won't pay. Now, with that said, I think there are advantages to UBIs in the terms you spoke of, such as social security and 
medical benefits, disability benefits, and things like that. Those could be seen as a form of UBI, but because it's not like a single level across all people, I don't think you can consider them a UBI. Okay. I think that's fair. I mean, my big problem with UBI, well, one, I I have a problem with the government just giving anybody money for literally just existing. Like, I think that's stupid, but the, from a practical standpoint, if you, if UBI, what I see happening, if UBI was to be enacted tomorrow, I see wages dramatically drop throughout the country because from an employer standpoint, okay, let's say I'm paying you $14 an hour. If I find out, so first off, UBI is going to have to be funded somewhere. The government's going to fund it with taxes. If, if UBI is, let's say $1 an hour, and that is the equivalent of $1 an hour for a 40 hour work week. Okay. So we're talking Just, about like 100 and 240 bucks a month or something. Yeah. Let's just, let's just say it's that for easy math. It's, it's $1 an hour equivalency. I can see businesses paying people $1 less because the argument's going to be, or they're just, or wages are going to get stagnant for a period of time when they should be going up, but they're not because of inflation, because the argument's going to be the government's giving you your first dollar and I'm going to pay you the other 14. And now you're at, and and, see, and that's what's going to happen. Employers are going to argue you're making $15 an hour because your first dollar is being paid by the government and we're paying the other 14. So in reality, everybody's going to make less except for the, you know, the people who aren't earning an hourly wage. So what you're saying is we should increase the minimum wage over the UBI because that would actually make sure the pay increases with inflation, which should be over $12 an hour at a federal level today. And you'll put every single small mom and pop out of business. But no, because people would have money to spend at those small mom and pops. People don't have money to spend. That's the thing. As you raise as you raise minimum wage, the cost of everything goes up. People don't have money to spend even as it is with minimum wage where it is. So this is the debate around UBI is that there are people today. Uh, let's take Walmart employees, for example, because they are on welfare way more than any other employed people should be who don't make a living wage to be able to pay rent and things like that more than Amazon employees because they hate their employees. I think Walmart is still higher than Amazon on the number of employees on welfare. That's Um, shocking because I saw a video where Amazon was docking people's pay because they went to, they went on break a minute, a minute. Yeah, I think Amazon actually pays really well. It just works you like you're not a human being. Well, it, you know, Bezos is an alien robot, so who he wants understand. to fly to space and we don't want him to return. He yeah, can that's stay totally up there. fine. Totally fine. So with that point, though, you know, 
one of the issues I see in this and where I come from a socialist standpoint is that wealth is hoarded at the top. Trickle down economics does not work. An increase in minimum wage or even a UBI, in theory, let's we'd have to break some very ingrained thought processes in people's heads, should create in GameStop terms a circle of life. Because I've I've heard this argument before that uh, you know you give a UBI and people are going to be wasting it on Escalades and the greatest smartphones. Great. So what? If you give someone a UBI and they get evicted from their house because instead of paying rent, they're spending it on smartphones, guess what? They had to buy that smartphone from somewhere. Let's say they bought it from a Best Buy. That means a Best Buy employee got paid. That money went back into the system and circled again through taxes, and you're creating a circle of life. They pay it on rent. Their landlord gets paid. Their landlord now is buying stuff. If you had a UBI during the pandemic, there would have been no reason to suspend rent payments because you could say, hey, the government's giving you money. Keep paying your landlords. Well, we well we technically had UBI during the pandemic. It was a kind of UBI. It was only if you were unemployed. It was only if you were unemployed. So any anybody was, that uh, was a frontline worker or was in an essential business basically got fucked. Yeah. Or those one-time payments, you know, the $2,000 that Joe Biden promised, but that actually meant 1400 on top of the, the 600, 600 that, Trump, that gave us. Trump gave us, which means Republicans actually gave us more total money from their payment. <gasps> Jake, how dare you do math? Don't oh, do God. oh, God. Oh, God. No. Ah, Sorry. Ah. Joe Biden. Joe Biden. Joe Biden. I see, I I see the, the, the word socialist under your name is fading. It's fading, Jake. Clap. Uh, so you believe. Let, let's all be clear. Joe Biden is no socialist uh, that you libertarians make him to be the scary, scary monster. He is a oh, right I, of center Democrat when it comes down to it. I, so. I don't think he's a scary monster. I think he's a he's a twice baked potato that got dropped under a washing machine for a little too long. But <laughs> yeah, um, he. Um, but yeah, he, back to UBI. He messed with uh, Bernie too. Uh, no, but to that point, like it would create a circle of life, trickle up economics. People would buy stuff with that money. They. There would be a certain percentage which are investing it in Doge, thinking it's going to make them millions, but that would be will, the small percentage. You got to hold. And you got to hold. Doge you buy the is, dip and you got to hold, Jake. It's the rich man's game. By giving people money to afford their day-to-day, and I don't think it needs to be UBI. It should really be a minimum wage increase. Minimum wage should be 15 if not $17 an hour. And Aaron, to those small businesses, I also believe that there should be support structures in place to help those small businesses. They should be paying lower taxes into the system than the higher class businesses. I know we've talked about it before. I truly support a structure where the government comes and says, here is the benefits you have to give people. If you cannot achieve that, this is okay. But you won't get this tax break or this tax break or this tax break. You know, you pay someone $17 an hour, you get the 5% corporate tax break. 
you're giving them this level of health care that gets you the 10% tax break. You need to incentivize these changes, um, especially in our current capitalist structure. You have to put a dollar sign behind it to get businesses to buy into it, especially those more wealthy businesses who find ways to cut corners. It's true. So, Well, to find common ground, I will say that, uh, one, as a libertarian, I hate taxes and I hate giving people money for nothing. But I would support uh, a higher minimum wage before I'd ever support UBI. Um, but to your point of um, basically reducing the burden for small businesses by basically saying, look, we're raising minimum wage to $15 an hour. We know that that might be too much of a burden for you. So here's a tax incentive or a tax break for businesses over um, – you know, or basically for businesses under a certain employee count, I'd be all for that. That would be a good middle ground. Yeah. And I am currently of the stance in the work environment that, excuse me, a minimum wage increase is better than a UBI. I know I've heard, I've read a lot of books about the future of humanity, and there's been a lot of debate whether or not in the next 50 years, work w will become so autonomized that we need a UBI because we will have an unemployed class that we literally cannot not get jobs. If anything, the environment I've seen post-COVID has proved that's wrong because there are companies out there everywhere, need employees, $1,000 signing bonus, starting at $12 an hour, just trying to lure workers in. Um, you know, we've got the boomer generation that is on the verge of retiring or currently retiring. There are jobs out there for people. It's true. But you got to get the cause behind it to get people in and maybe minimum wage is how it no, no one should be working in their forties, three jobs to support their family because minimum wage is so low. It's true. But I will say my biggest problem or my biggest not problem, my biggest hang up with raising minimum wage to $15 an hour comes from the diversity aspect of America and not diversity of, you know, people or religion, races, anything, just that. But seven, seven twenty five as a minimum wage in New York is unlivable. All right. Seven twenty five is. In a state like Idaho or Nebraska or Mississippi is completely different. You know, uh, you, you compare like you're not comparing apples to apples. You could have a three bedroom house on half an acre in New York, and that house is going to be, you know, two fifty, three hundred thousand dollars. The exact same house in a midwestern state you know could be 90 to 100,000 you don't need a super high minimum wage in places where a cost of living is lower to that point uh the minimum wage federally in 1970 was a dollar 85 if that kept up with inflation the federal minimum wage would it be 1284 today 
that is without accounting for college crisis or college price increases the fact that we have venture capitalist firms sniping homes out from us to prevent our generation from home home ownership and owning wealth so i don't think it matters yes in certain states maybe the minimum wage needs to be even higher than $15 to have a living wage well, that's I mean, where the state comes in on top of the federal yes. minimum wage. And New York's a good place to look at because $15 in Rochester goes a lot further than $15 in New York City. Unshackle upstate. So there's a difference there. I mean, you can't any type place there's a big city. The minimum wage is going to be differently affected than out in a smaller city, the suburbs, or even... Uh, suburban areas right it's just how things are i get i'll give you the inflation that minimum wage should at least keep up with inflation and if inflation says that minimum wage federal minimum wage should be 12 whatever you said then i will concede and say that yes it should keep up with inflation to your point that uh minimum wage should have anything to do with the increased cost of college i say nay nay because first first off you know that the price of college has gone up has nothing to do with college actually being more expensive and the fact that the federal government backs every single fucking student loan so there's literally no reason any college should charge a reasonable rate because if you just fault they're gonna still get the money so why should i bother not charging you half a million dollars for a bullshit piece of paper so you could get your bullshit liberal arts degree and end up not being able to get a job. College is my go-to example, but there's been more that has had that same level of increase. Home ownership has No, no, increased. just just focus on college because I can no. argue that one. No, because that's what the talking heads do. <laughs> not going to do that. Well, on top of that, you know, uh, another statistic I looked at, well, looking at to this is CEO compensation has grown 940% since 1978 compared to the average worker. If you're looking at minimum wage has only grown 36.6%. It's not balanced. Wealth is being accumulated at the top and either a minimum wage increase or UBI could help a distribution of wealth and a circle of life of money where money is spent by people who need the money and then spread out. So something just popped in my head with the statistics you just threw out. What? That I think you would like as a solution instead of UBI or dramatically increasing minimum wage. If the CEO's salary is a higher percentage than than the lowest paid employee in the company, the CEO should be taxed at a very high bracket and the corporation as a whole should be taxed at a, should have an extra tax on it. I love it. Which, which it's a libertarian. I'm supposed to hate taxes, but I'm, I'm, you know, as, as anybody who's listened to us knows I'm more centrist than anything else, but for purposes of this live where no one's listening to us, yeah, no one's listening to us. Is, is it still no one? It's still no one. Are people Some come people, and go, so people yeah, come it, in and they're like, "Oh, fuck this!" No, exactly. These We're not two screaming. assholes. 
we're not screaming at each other enough. Uh, so people God damn it, coming. Jake. They're turning uh, the frogs gay. They're turning the frogs did gay. That get, did that get anybody? Nope. No. I, I, I feel someone <laughs> would have come in at that and then seen us both do that and gone, oh, fuck no, and gotten out. <laughs> Like uh, we're not controversial enough. Um, yeah, do I, I need be... to show like some more skin. Like, is that is that <laughs> what's gonna do it? I'd be completely down for what you proposed. Uh, with that <laughs> fact, though, I would say, um, you know, the one thing for that that would scare me is let's say the janitor is your lowest paid employee. Excuse me, at like ten dollars an hour or something. Well, your next lowest paid employee is making 17. Let's say you're a big sales organization. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's some huge disparity there that leaves the CEO at a better pay gap at 17. Well, now as a company, what I'm going to do is start outsourcing my janitor to a janitorial company. So the janitor isn't under my employee anymore so that I can skate by that. But yeah, but that happens now. It does. But that literally happens right now with, um, you know, having to offer benefits. And uh, so the closest thing to what I propose that we have now are the restrictions with 401ks. So the reason why a lot of companies match your 401k contribution has nothing to do with the company wants your retirement to be successful. If, If the... So with 401ks, you're classified either as an employee or a high-earning employee, which is usually your executive suite. The executive suite or your high – and look, if there's an economist or someone listening to this and I'm fucking this all up. No, there's no one listening to it. I know there's no one listening. Someone came in and left again. if, if, if If someone's listening to this later. And you're like, he's completely wrong. You know what? This is a podcast. I don't do any research. I'm shooting from the hip. Go fuck yourself. But for the way I understand it is for the um, basically the high income bracket of a company to contribute almost anything to the 401k, you need a certain percentage of the uh, rest of the employees to contribute. So theoretically, if you have a company of 50 employees, and only two people, regular people, are contributing, the CEO is not allowed to put anything in his 401k. He's fucked. So that's why companies will match or even uh, just put money in. You know, There's something called safe harbor, where if you fall under safe harbor guidelines, the CEO can put in as much money as he wants into, into his own personal 401k. So that's like, so there's a system like what, we're talking about that already exists which is why i think it could potentially be successful oh yes reagan's very horrible policies around 401k that led to the end of pensions and to the 401k program instead um yeah when i so my my final points on ubi i i don't know if i stand for it what i stand for is a minimum wage increase um i still to this they think that UBI is a group of people trying to say, well, if we're not going to get that minimum wage increase, we will get the minimum wage increase from the government by having a UBI that covers, I think it was like $6 an hour or something. You know, So if you're making $14 an hour now with UBI, you're making $20 an hour um, instead of actually having 
a true minimum wage increase. Yep, I'm still against UBI. <laughs> I'm not saying that I'm for it. So. <laughs> Let's talk healthcare because I believe that's our second topic. Oh, you're actually just going and I randomly sent you the order. So yeah, I'm just going in the order you said. All right, me. fine. Uh, healthcare. I'm probably gonna have to look up what the third topic is. I I forgot it already. So well, there are technically four topics because yes, I sent there you is a fourth order. one. I remember the fourth one because it was uh, a. It was interesting. One. Don't spoil it. Yeah. So healthcare. Healthcare. Do you want me to start? Yeah, you start this time, seeing okay. as you made me start. All right. So I believe in government-run healthcare, and my stance in that is. First of all, it's not like universal healthcare. That means if you want LASIK surgery, not going to be covered by government healthcare. If you want a boob job, not going to be covered by government healthcare. But, you know, if you get cancer, if you get uh, hurt, your yearly checkup, you're covered under your government healthcare. What you can do is if you want better healthcare than what the government provides. There's companies like Affleck or something that sell extended insurance that you can buy into and get even better insurance than what you're getting under your government healthcare. You know, your yearly dental exam, your yearly eye exam, your yearly checkup is what's covered under government healthcare. Certain glasses, if you want better glasses, more advanced glasses, you buy a power-up to your your uh, system, you know, you go like this and buy a power up and get the strobe lights on. Um, for for with, those just listening to the podcast, because no one's watching this right now. No, Jake has watching. Jake has colored strobe lights that he just turned on. I hope yes. you enjoyed that visual for those listening on Spotify and podcasts near you. I might actually publish this on YouTube so people can watch it as mm. well. Um, so no one can watch it there as well. Perfect. Yes, so no one can watch it there as well. With that said, um. When it comes to government healthcare, I think the other advantage of it now is employers have to provide a certain level of healthcare to lure employees in. If you were to take that away, first of all, you have to you take away the employer's healthcare cost by now bringing it into a tax on the employee income tax, however you want to do that. And second of all, each company is starting at a fair range. They're all saying that we have government health care no matter where you go. Now, employers can come in and say, oh, well, we offer 50% off Affleck on top of that if you sign up for Affleck to give them that incentive. But I don't think health care should be a employee incentive. I think so you're, the so pandemic you're, showed that. So your thought is basically... Medicare for all, and then you can supplement it. Yes. Medicare for all with certain basic checkups covered and essential healthcare covered, and then you can supplement it for advanced healthcare. You know, I think right now I get a dental cleaning every six months. Under government healthcare, it'd be once a year. You know, you get your eye exam once a year and under government healthcare, you get new glasses every five years. But if you want better than that, you get supplemental healthcare that now you can get glasses at a discount every year or whatever. 
Okay. That's where well, I stand. So I got two points. So one, I'm going to not necessarily talk to your point of sort of Medicare for all and then um, a supplemental on top of it. I'm more going to sort of, well, I mean, I mean, part of it covers it. The thought of basically a government run healthcare that takes the burden off of uh, the company is in my opinion going to disproportionately affect employees and low income employees than it's going to affect corporations. I mean, as a small business owner, I would love universal health care because it's a huge cost that we wouldn't have to uh, incur and and pass on to our employees. And it's going to totally fuck over all employees because they're going to get more taken out of their taxes. Uh, my example of this is New York State's brilliant idea to do paid family leave, which paid family leave sounds like a great program. It's presented as this great thing that an employer has to provide to you. Costs the employer nothing. Comes out of your paycheck. You are forced to pay for it. Majority of people will never, ever be able to use PFL because the criteria to use it is so narrow. But yet, they are doubling the rate almost every year that gets taken out of your paycheck. To You are forced to buy this insurance taken out of your paycheck and it's it's out of control and it's worthless for the majority of people who have to pay for it and from a from that standpoint i feel like any type of universal health care other than just you know the providing the most basic necessities as you said um you know, to cover everybody for the most basic things is going to just completely screw over everybody. And then it's going to force wages to have to go up to compensate for it. And then it just becomes a vicious cycle. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with that because this is what the people came for here for Jake or didn't come here for us for us not to agree today. We incur the cost of healthcare when an uninsured person goes to the hospital because they don't pay that bill. They end up defaulting on it. It goes to some sort of bill collection agency that, you know, buys the debt at a penny on the dollar and then collects it at five cents on the dollar. But then to account for it, the hospitals, which are for-profit organizations are now paying charging you more for your health care that your insurance may only cover a certain amount and you know if everyone were paying into the system there'd be a certain guarantee within healthcare of what is available and what hospitals can pay because you're saying the government's paying you this is a checkup you get i don't know twenty dollars for that appointment that's what you're gonna get um oh i don't think that would happen at all the markup right now with healthcare is so ridiculously unreasonable. I mean, from a personal experience, went to the doctor, you know, had a procedure done. 
the hospital was like, okay, this is this is how much this costs. Insurance went, no, we're only going to cover two-thirds of it. And the hospital was like, all right, I guess the new cost is uh, two-thirds of it. Like, the prices are so overinflated. And I feel oh, yes. like... But I feel like once the government gets involved, it's not going to change because the government got involved with student loans and colleges still just increase the pricing. I think there would be a certain point where the government would have to go. You're trying, excuse me, you're trying to charge me $5,000 for a yearly checkup. The money's not in the pot for that. It's a yearly checkup. We're giving it to every citizen in the United States. No. That we're not going to pay that. That's not what the government does. The government's going to go, okay, and they're going to raise the taxes. That's so maybe some of this has to be we are functioning under a functional government, which uh, that's a (laughs) that's a lot. That's a stretch even for you. That's a different story. Um, What what pipe dream have you been a functional government? (laughs) Uh, we're just watching, you know, the Super Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> well, I have. So that was my first. So I have a different proposal for healthcare. Okay. So here is my libertarian ideals for healthcare. Uncouple it from work. Healthcare should not be determined. Should not be determinant on working. You like? I don't understand why there has to be this group rate policy. Um, I think healthcare should be competitive. I think anybody should be able to buy it at any time. I mean, it's kind of what like the New York state exchange does, but poorly um, because that's basically just creating like an artificial pool saying that, you know, everybody in it is, is getting a group rate. I, I think either, well, one, however you do it, I think it needs to be uncoupled from work. Because it boggles my mind that you can be, you know, paying uh, $100 a week. Maybe that's too high. Maybe that's too low. I don't know. $100 a week for a top tier uh, healthcare policy and lose your job. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, you're not part of your corporation anymore. So instead of $100 a week, it's now $1,000 a week. (laughs) Good luck. Like the, the whole... Cobra program, which is you're supposed to be able to keep your health care after you lose your job, is is a joke because all it does mean that you lose your group rate and you have to pay full price. I think if healthcare wasn't tied to having a job, there's got to be a way to bring the rates down. I mean, you know, there are other countries like you know, Netherlands and stuff that don't have healthcare tied to work and rates are dramatically lower because there's not that barrier to entry to get healthcare. And the other thing I see is if, if for whatever reason, I don't know why this would have to be a thing, but if it has to be done on group pricing, why does the group have to be the company you work for? If you're part of a federal credit union, why can't the credit union offer healthcare? I mean, there are certain, you know, organizations, uh, you know, whether you're, you're part of a club or a fraternity um, you know, that offer, you know, group life insurance. Why can't they also also offer healthcare? 
you know, why can't, you know, the bank that you go to, why can't your group be part of that instead of, you know, where you work? And then if you lost your job, you still have your bank. So your healthcare rate doesn't change. Uh, 100% agree with you. Um, I think it's the silliest thing that healthcare is bundled to work. Um, I should be able to go to Liberty, Geico, you know, I should be able to bundle my home auto and health, um, any of those. Uh, even in my example, when I mentioned, you know, you'll get your universal health care and then you can get your additional health care on top of it. Uh, and I said Aflac and then, you know, employers can say, hey, we pay 50 percent of health Aflac health care or whatever. My whole thought around that was, yeah, but then anyone can go out and buy Aflac. You know, employers might offer right. we pay 50% of your Affleck to get you to join, but it's not coupled to work. Right. It is a free market. And, you know, you might go, well, you pay 50% for Affleck, but Affleck only offers me new glasses every two years. Um, you know, Liberty Mutual is only $2 more a month than Affleck's insurance. And I get new glasses every year. I'm not going to take your 50% uh, bundle. I'm going to go buy it from Liberty outside of the company. Right. You know, back like back in the day when you would be at a company and be like, oh, yeah, you know, if you get a phone from Verizon with us, we offer a 16 percent discount with Verizon. It's the same thing. Anyone could go to Verizon and buy a phone, but your company right. might offer a discount. Anyone can go to Affleck and buy add on insurance, but your company might offer an incentive if you do it through the company plan. That means. If you become unemployed, you don't lose your Affleck, but you might lose your discount that you're getting with the company. Right. And you'll still have your base level health care. Yeah. So. All right. We found common ground. Yeah. Do we have any listeners? Zero listeners still. No one Perfect. wants to talk to us or listen to a socialist and a libertarian agreeing on things. Well, you know, I, I, I could also probably say, I mean, look. I mean, we have to be honest with the current political landscape in the world, or at least in America, because most of the other world isn't as, as obsessed with politics as, you know, America is because they have real problems. But I feel like uh, most people nowadays aren't centrists anymore. So just seeing a socialist and a libertarian, anybody who's a right winger is going to be like, oh, fuck, I don't want to listen to this goddamn socialist spout on about his communist bullshit. I ain't watching this. And I'm sure everybody, you know, all the left wingers are like a fucking libertarian. Oh, I don't want that racist piece of shit that's going to be thumping the Bible the entire time telling me what to do. So I feel like we've alienated both sides, which is what our podcast is meant for. Yes, if you're if you're a winger, you know, I mean, you go back to some of our early podcasts where we used to make fun of people like you and we would tell you to get fucked. Um, this is this is for, you know, reasonable people who have discussions about reasonable things. I mean, I want to see the end of capitalism as a system, but that doesn't mean I want to see the end of democracy, which is why I'm not a communist. <laughs> I believe that socialist is the economic program that we should follow. And I believe that democracy is the political system we should follow. I want to see the uncoupling of your political system, meaning your economic system, because China is capitalist and a 
communist government. They so. are capitalist, like Miller Lite is beer. Well, so. I mean, there were capitalist, and we had bread lines during the pandemic, like a communist country that you would imagine. So, uncouple well, okay, well, your political system from your economic system. I agree. Uncouple your political system from your economic system. I am going to divert from the topics we're saying real quick and say that um, bread lines are not an indication of a failure of the free market and capitalism. And I'm going to point out something real quick. Uh, So the two, so first up, I think the biggest problem and the reason why there is such a coupling with an economic and a political system is because people don't actually understand what the political spectrum is. And it's not right and left. It's a four quadrant thing. And the left and the right is your economic system and north and south is the political affiliation. So the far left is communism. The far right is libertarianism or free market. The far north is completely authoritarian and the far south is anarchy, even though whatever that political compass is changed the south to libertarian, which That's just like limited government. The antithesis of full control is not some control. The antithesis is no control. So I don't know what the hell they were thinking there. But personally, I feel regardless of what my views are, the only political economic system that is truly viable for how human beings are is a centrist model, which takes a little bit from all of them and finds the happy medium. Like, if you only eat steak, you're going to die. But if you have a balanced diet of steak and some carbs and some vegetables, you're going to be healthier. Jordan Peterson, if you only eat red meat, you will die. And your daughter will have to fly you to Russia to try to save your life. What is Russia going to do? I don't know. He somehow survived, though. Okay. They probably fed him, like, Brussels sprouts or something. And we're like, no, you can't eat only red meat. Here are Brussels sprouts and vodka. Oh, you I live. mean, that would work. That would work. But so with that, communism is not a viable system because communism and Marxism, Marxism ignores the basic psychological components of what it is to be a human being communism's great on paper right because it ignores human nature yeah 100%. it's great on paper yeah absolutely yes. amazing in practice, because it ignores what a human is absolutely it, it com- horrible because com- people people are people but and here's and here's the other reason why a 100 libertarian free market economic system fails in the same way that communism does because people are people because people are people and the problem with a freak so the classic argument for why com why capitalism is bad and why a free market never works is because you get monopolies and monopolies hurt people and all of that which is true but a monopoly cannot stand over time because if a monopoly was infinite you wouldn't have phrases like too big to fail And the reason why a free market fails is because most people aren't willing to accept the fall 
Like you are going, people are going to hurt under a free market system. But if you just let the free market run its course, less people will be hurt over, you know, a shorter amount of time than if you artificially pump things up and then, you know, kind of like, you know, making sure interest rates don't go up and, you know, helping a, a mega investment firm buy up houses at a high rate. So that you're just sort of kicking, you know, that can of an economic crash down the road. So inflation keeps going up because there's only one way to fix inflation. There's only one way. And that is a complete and total collapse of the economic system, which the higher it gets, the greater the crash. If you just let it fucking crash, it's going to suck. It's going to hurt. People are going to lose their jobs. Things are going to get expensive. But if you crash it at a lower point, which is more natural, it fixes itself. Whereas if you just fucking keep pumping it up, like the phrase that pissed me off more than anything in my entire life was too big to fail. No, too big should have failed. Bailing Why? out the auto industry, bailing out let it crash. The big banks, Should've not holding bankers accountable Should've for let the them go to jail. loans that they processed. Like, you know, I and will then, be clear, and then they this go, happened they go, under a Democrat. Why did nobody learn? Well, okay, Jake, let's let's clear the air and let's, you know, reveal our true nature. Um, Democrats and Republicans are all pretty much the same. And uh, all politicians are really just corporate crats who uh, don't care about the people and they just care about uh, corporations and making money. Yeah, uh, those bailouts should have never happened. 2008 should have probably gotten worse. And we probably wouldn't be in a lot of the situations we are now. If yeah, literally no one learned worse. anything. And we're heading for another housing crash. We're heading for another housing crash in which I think a quarter of buyers in the market now are venture capitalist firms. Yes. Yeah, so either from the U S or China. Yeah. And it's one of those where the, like the thing that I don't understand and why no one's talking about it and why like no oh. one's talking about it. Every single marker that led like every single canary in the coal mine that led to the 2008 crash, we are hitting like literally in the same domino effect. And everybody's like, no, it's fine. It's totally fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine, right? It's, it's not just, like we saw this happen before 10 years I ago. just don't understand why <laughs> you don't own a home and have a college degree. Well, Papa, when you went to college, it was $300 total for your college education. You were able to buy a home for $100,000. Well, that's actually way too much. For $40,000 working one job with your wife staying at home with the kids. Uh all this stuff doesn't exist anymore. Uh, you just gotta work hard. When you I went, when I went to you college, didn't I fucking work hard to get this shit. I worked at a laundromat and I picked up. I don't know why I went. Why my grandfather's southern? He grew up in New York City and, and lived here his entire life. But uh, you know, when I went to college, you know, I was folding laundry. You know, I picked up the laundry from everybody else in my dorm, and that's how I paid my way through. You know, I don't know why you can't just, you know. Work a little how your generation doesn't know work ethic. Well, that's our parents' fault because you know they told us that we deserved you know participation trophies and uh just just a shit on our generation of millennials a little bit. I heard uh, a really fucked up thing 
that apparently millennials more than anything else in the workplace want to be validated for existing, not for actually doing work. Like most millennials would rather you say like, thank you so much for being here today. I really value that, you know, you're a part of this team. And I'm like, uh, I would rather be told that I kicked ass on this and, uh, you know, was actually valuable. I don't really give a sh- my existence. Me being alive is enough validation that I exist. Let's be completely honest here. Our parents' generation bitches about participation trophies because we're now in our 30s and 40s after they were the ones that were like, well, my kid showed up. You have to give them a trophy. And it's like, I didn't place in first, second, or third. I don't want this pace of paper that says fourth great job <laughs> no you were the one who pushed that and now we're bitching about our generation expecting it yeah really it's baby boomers that are the problem they've always been the problem you're the baby boomers parents generation hated you as millennials we hate you too uh, i'm in the weird boat because my dad's not a boomer so i was raised by the so he's the generation that raised the xers so I got that weird and then not to out my mom, but she's an older boomer. So I'm just like, I'm this weird mix of like, I, I kind of am a millennial, but at the same time, I, I really not. So I reject everything. Yeah, right, am, am, do I go by millennial or Gen Y? I go by Aaron. That's, that's who I am. You call me that generation yeah. me. Yeah. Oh, wait, that's also a name for millennials. Um, My other point before we move on to our next topic, after bitching about the fact that like <laughs> we were horribly set up to fail because like, <laughs> we can't own shit. Everything's rented out for us. We live in a pay per month economy now. You know, there's no such thing as a lawnmower that lasts you 20 years that you could afford right off the bat that you could fix yourself that you could fix yourself i mean i'm doing my bathroom myself uh our generation doesn't know how to do that stuff anymore just to go to like the pay per month you know economy that like you talked about like i remember when netflix first came out and it was like oh my gosh this is so great we're cutting the cord you know i'm gonna get rid of cable i'm gonna save so much money no but between all the fucking subscription services like i'm almost at the point where yeah give me the cable package back but not really I'm because because i hate yet. i hate spectrum and they but can yeah, just suck it's a big all dick. pay per month it's not going to be long before you don't buy your fridge you rent your fridge and you know after two years you can get a fridge upgrade but there's an upgrade fee for upgrading your fridge and things like that the cell phone model on fridges and you know i've heard the cell phone model hitting video game consoles and we are moving to a generation of not ownership, but renting, I guess, is the best term. But my final point before we move on to the next topic, which you're going to have to remind me on, is the um, I heard from a friend of mine, a new political group is the Socialist Libertarians. Have you heard of this political group? What Frankenstein group is this? So apparently it's pretty much anarchy. They believe in no government control over their lives, but they want the government to pay for everything 
in their day-to-day aspect. That's- so the government can't tell you what to do, but pays for your health care. You don't have to have a job, but the government pays you to exist. It's like this Frankenstein of like, how do these... That's called being a spoiled, entitled brat. Yeah. Apparently it's a so thing, that's the, though. That's the brat party. Yeah. Don't tell me what to do. I don't want the government controlling me. But give me everything, because I don't want to actually do it. But give it to me. Give, give it to me. Give, I give want it. it. To me. Give it to me. <laughs> All right. What, what was our third topic? Our third topic was education. Ah, education. All right. I'll take this. I'm on beer number oh. two. This is a very good beer, by the way. I, I was just about to start a, num- a number. I was debating. I'm, I'm number two. At the end of number two. Oh my gosh! I need to catch up. Yeah. Um. So education. I believe, uh, to a certain level, there should be government standards to education, and I say that knowing that education from a government level has been done poorly. Uh, the no what you you mean you mean act. since since the Department of Education was founded that we've slipped in global rankings every single year? I think more that the government's level of education should be outlining certain topics that everyone needs to learn about, and partial textbook control in that. Certain states can't buy textbooks that spin that level of education to the way they want it to. Um, And, you know, as much as I don't want college to become grade uh, 13 through 16, I think there should be certain government incentives to college. But trade school should be included in that. It should not just be colleges. And if you need to say that, hey, only your two-year organizations, your community colleges, or your first two years of college are included, or you can go to a trade school, I think it is completely unfair to exclude trade schools. If someone wants to become an electrician or a plumber, good on them. Don't exclude their education just because they're not going and getting a... English major from being paid for. Agreed. So I will say from the college standpoint, I'll start there. Um, I think the worst thing that happened to our generation was this notion that everybody needs to get a college education. Yes. I, I and think that's com- why I said trade schools should be included. Right. Like it's, it's a completely false ideal. And Everyone should have access and the ability to go to college, but not everybody should go to college. There is a large percentage of the population that goes and gets a college degree that never should have gotten a college degree. I mean, uh, one of the the best arguments I ever heard was uh, someone was asking, you know, should I go to college? And the person's response was, well, are you going to pay for it? Are your parents going to pay for it? And, you know, the response was, well, my parents said that, you know, they would cover my college education. And the response was great. Go take your four year vacation. I mean, I do so much with my political science degree that I spent four years at college for. It was totally worth it. 
that that's why we have this podcast, Jake. We oh, yes. Have if you didn't yes. have, I mean, this podcast is netting us zero listeners. I mean, it's the top, top of the line in terms. I mean, of, it's as useful as my political science degree. <laughs> my. So from a standpoint of lower education or basically, you know, element, you know, first through 12, um, I 100% believe that we need some form of school choice. And the argument for school choice or against school choice has always been if you allow people in a shitty school district to take their tax dollars and go somewhere else. It's just going to make that district smaller or make that district worse. And I would argue that's not true because first of all, school choice shouldn't be, I can take my tax dollars and enroll my kid in another public school. It should be, I can take my school tax dollars. And if I choose to send them to a private school, a religious school or homeschool, Excuse me. Like if, you know, if you're in a shitty school district or it doesn't matter if it's a shitty school district, if you decide that you want to send your kids to uh, a private school, you should be able to take the tax dollars or at least the majority percentage. 80%. The district gets to keep 20%. 80% you get to take with you and you can put that towards your private school tuition or a charter school. Or if you're homeschooling, you get that back in a refund so that it covers school supplies, teaching aids. Um, you could do a co-op. It would go towards that. So now the argument is, well, that school district has less money, but that school district has less kids. And in the most extreme, it would benefit the school district because let's take a let's say you take a bad school district and you have a thousand kids in a grade. OK, and now you offer school choice. And people have a way out because they're paying because here's the thing. The worst school districts have some of the highest taxes on them because they're trying to fix a broken system and they just keep throwing money at it. So you take those kids out and all that money, all of a sudden, instead of one teacher to 100 kids, you're now getting one teacher to 50 kids. So while there's less money in, the quality of teaching goes up because the more kids you have, the lower quality it is. I mean, that's a proven fact that just happens. If you take the the majority the majority number of kids out of a broken system, and the people in that system are still working there, are able to give more attention, the quality of the teaching is going to go up, which means over time, the school system is going to get better, which means more people are going to not take their kids out and put them in a different system. And they're going to send you like, Oh, the public school is getting better. So they're going to put them into the system, which means the system's going to get more money and it's going to be rewarded for fixing it when they had less people. And over time, that school system should get better. Also, most people, especially in low income areas, don't have the means to move to a different area to get a better school system. So without a system like school choice, you're basically saying, I want people who live in a bad area to have bad education and have no means of getting out because people with high income, if they live in a bad neighborhood or a bad school district, they send their kids to private school. So without allowing school choice, 
you're basically saying rich people should be able to send their kid wherever they want, but poor people should be stuck in a broken system. I semi agree. Um, first of all, when it comes to, from uh, to school taxes, uh, so I have a daughter going into kindergarten, so I've attended some of these meetings lately about why Brighton didn't have full day kindergarten and things like this. And it comes down to this broken system from New York state on how to determine how much funding goes to each school from a state level. I think uh, from a tax dollar standpoint, there should be a headcount pay. Each student in a seat gets nets the school $50 a month. I don't just whatever that out there, yeah. whatever that is. And it does not matter how bad the school district is or whatever, you know, each student in a seat, you get this much in school funding from the department of education. So, you know, you have a class of 300. If it's $10 a seat, you're working at $3,000 a month in education. What I think the department of education should more be outlining um, in the K through 12 range is minimum education needed to succeed in the world. Um, and that means no child left behind it. I don't know if it's even still a thing, but needs to go away because you have to realize that people learn differently and no child left behind disadvantaged people who learn differently. Yep. And then second of all, you need to determine the skills that everyone needs to succeed. And there are certain uh, human um Oh, what's it called? Humanity classes that are missing today in education. Critical thinking should be taught um, in the um, eight through twelve range. You, you mean should they should? Learn... You mean they should actually teach critical thinking instead of just destroying it? Yeah, teach critical thinking. How um, bold of you, Jake! Teach how to do your taxes. Teach some of those basic life skills, along with you know your math skills, your English skills, and then you also realize that certain levels of that K through 12 education is indoctrinated education and probably could go away. Um, and I think that's more where things come from. Uh, you know, I hate, I kind of don't hate to bring it up because I, I think it's crazy. All this stuff about critical race theory that's going on right now with parents flipping out. I don't think a single parent that's flipping out about critical race theory understands what it is and that most students aren't actually learning this i think one of the school districts that had a like huge meeting was like there's one class that's an elective class that you learn critical race theory and and parents were flipping a shit about it i will say i think the biggest problem with everything that's going on with critical race theory is there is no real education on what it is. And to be completely honest, there is no real standard for what it is. Depending on who you talk to, you can get a completely definition, completely different definition of what it is. And it's such a, I don't want to say new concept because it's something that's been around for a while, but it's something that's being pushed so quickly, so heavily that I think in some areas you're having and, and this but this happens every time the government or politicians 
pick something and then decide to just like, oh, this is what we need to do to fix why people are upset. And they just cram it. And half the people don't know what's going on. The other half think they know what's going on when they reality they don't. And then you just have craziness. I go back to the belief that, uh, you know, you you put two different types of ants in a jar and they're going to live in perfect harmony until you shake the jar and then they're going to kill each other because they think the other ants are the ones that upset the ecosystem. And in reality, we're just, excuse me, we're just here trying to live. And there's these government forces that just keep shaking the jar on us. And I guess that's where I would say the department of education should come in and define what critical race theory is. Um, You know, the base level definition of what I've heard and it can get pretty crazy depending on which media lanes you follow and how scary they're trying to make it is that it teaches you that laws were applied differently or even set up based on race. And even though those laws may have changed, that still exist. And that is not a wrong belief at any sense. And it is something that people should learn that laws apply differently to different groups of people. But because no one knows what it is, because we weren't taught critical race theory, because our parents' generation weren't taught it, parents are now flipping out. And I saw pictures comparing one PTSA meeting to um, the first time that black students were allowed into schools. And it was eerily similar. The screaming white people that were flipping out about something they definitely didn't understand but tucker carlson told them they need to be scared of well let's let's be fair every single media outlet is telling their sides that they need to be scared of the other side and yes it's all bullshit and all the i mean let's be fair you got people that are manipulating critical race theory on both sides you got you got the people on the right that are saying that this is the worst thing to happen and it's going to destroy everything. And then you got people on the other side who are bastardizing critical race theory to turn it into a supremacist movement to uh, pit one race against the other. So, but, and I guess that's where I'm saying is the department of education comes in to define what a basic K through 12 education should consist of and national textbooks um which i know still don't exist today that certain states can get their own textbooks with history rewritten to the way they prefer um there was a meme going around you mean the war of northern aggression the wall of northern aggression the south will rise again jake there was a meme going around right about the time i was in virginia and i was joking with uh, the friend in virginia about it um about Someone found at a thrift shop a textbook from Virginia in the 1950s explaining the Civil War. And it was like, mm-hmm. Virginia was a America-loving state. Hmm. And we just knew when President Abraham Lincoln attacked South Carolina that we could not stand for this aggression. So General Robert E. Lee returned to his home and we became the capital of the Confederacy to protect 
states' rights, which President Lincoln was trying to attack. Well, as as someone who lived in Virginia for a number of years and uh, learned their ways, uh, it was absolutely true, and it was definitely the War of Northern Aggression. And uh, the, those northern states wished to take away our rights, and uh, we just wanted to be free, and the the corrupt federal government wished to destroy our freedoms. And it 100%. I will say, the funniest thing that ever happened to me in uh, Virginia, and and this is the difference between a northern education and a southern education, is the naming of Civil War battles. So the North, and when you have an education in the North with a Northern textbook, every single battle is named after the closest landmark. So one of the biggest battles in the Civil War was the um, Battle of Bull Run, which in Virginia, living literally behind uh, where the battle took place in Bull Run National Park, I was very quickly corrected that it was the Battle of Manassas because the South named every battle after the closest uh, town or city because the North would uh, the North named every battle in the South after the closest landmark because they didn't the theory is that they didn't want anybody in the North to believe that there could be human casualties associated with it. So it's just, oh no, it's, it's been, it's taking place at, uh, you know, in Bull Run, which is just a, you know, a national park has nothing to do with the town nearby. You know, it's funny, uh, in my travels to Virginia, I heard about how they have been trying to move the Confederate, uh, capital out of Richmond because, uh, a school is being built around it and doesn't want it there anymore. And nobody wants this building. Um, I'm sure there's some of the non-listeners in Alabama that would love to have the Confederate capital re-established there. But the other surprising thing is driving through upstate New York. I tend to see Confederate flags and MAGA flags, and uh, I saw none of those in Virginia at all. But the moment I got into Pennsylvania, there was a Pennsylvania car with a Pennsylvania license plate right with the Confederate flag on it. You know, that Confederate state of Pennsylvania is surprising how much Southern sympathizers there are in Pennsylvania and in parts of New York. Well, yeah, I got no explanation for New York. Pennsylvania, I guess, was at least close enough to the borders. I guess Battle of Gettysburg, you had clashes and I guess a lot of Southerners. I mean, I don't know. I don't I don't have a problem with, you know, what most people consider the Confederate flag as a lot of people on the left do. But because well, it isn't I, I don't like it, but it's also not the Confederate flag. It right. Something that has since been adopted by certain people um you know just like those confederate statues that got taken out of dc that the um democrats oh i mean the republicans voted to keep at the capitol um even though the democrats were the southerners during that time different podcast about the political alignment switch between the two parties which which never actually happened shouldn't exist which totally happened but it didn't happen no no different point no no 
No, you don't get to throw the party switch in there and just I'm on, you know, now that I'm into two beers, you don't get to throw the party switch in there and move on. You know, it's funny. I was re-listening to we, uh, we talked about this already. JFK's uh speech because we have it in our podcast intro and there are some definite republican views in that uh <laughs> democratic speech uh as of today. Um but yes, the the Department of Education in my opinion, in the K through 12 range should be providing what education should entail. And I completely believe it needs a critical thinking philosophy standard in that education. I also believe in the college range, there should be some sort of funding because it has become partially necessary to have that extra degree. Now, whether... I'm on the fence of whether or not that should be your full four years or just your associates. I lean towards just your associates and that it should also include um, uh, trade schools at that point. I think associates two years and trade schools should be covered. I think there is no need for a college degree in, in the practical world. I think there is a need for, tell Um, companies that well tell like i mean okay from the the standpoint of uh being a small business owner i don't understand a lot of the bullshit that exists within corporate america the biggest thing being i have never cared less about where your degree comes from than actually becoming a business owner. Like now I, I don't understand why anyone would brag that they went to Harvard. That's not an accomplishment to me. Like whether you went to the university of Phoenix or Harvard, I see them as the same because the big secret that no one ever seems to talk about is you can get into any college you want if you just make it through the first year of whatever college you got into and then transfer, because especially places like Harvard and Yale and all the Ivy leagues that are so good, their dropout rate after year one is so high that if you make it through the first year of whatever shit university you went through and get like a 3.8, 3.9, 4.0, you can get into almost any college you want. And the same thing goes for like secondary education, like, law school and you know business school you make it through the first year of law school and i had a friend who did this went to a third tier law school got through the first year transferred into one of the top five law schools in the country easy and had a scholarship all because they made it through the first year at their you know low tier law school with flying colors because the dropout rate at this top tier university was so high So I had a point, I forgot it, and it made me think of something else when you said that 4.0. I had a teacher in college that was like, look, if you get a B in this class, you're doing great. I've been teaching here since 1960. A's aren't a thing except for those people who exceed. You want to talk about participation trophies, though? The fact that, like... 
everyone has to have the best grade is a participation trophy nowadays. That the fact that like a C student is average, a B student is great or good, and an A student is great does not exist anymore. No. So no, everyone's got to be getting an A and a 4.0, which makes it a completely meaningless. Yes, it does. And also I was told throughout my entire four years of college, your GPA and your transcript script mean everything for your first job. And it was completely meaningless. Every internship I ever had, every job interview I went through for my first job, no one ever asked for my transcript or what my GPA was just, Oh, you went there to university. That's great. That's a good university. College is a great marketing scheme. Oh, it's a huge scam. Huge. Huge. Um, Almost as good as the sham. Well, all right. Let's our last last topic. Let's cover taxes. So we're going to talk about income tax versus universal sales tax. Was that your concept? Yes. All right. Well, you want me to, to, to take this off because you started the other two? Yeah, why don't you take this one? Okay, so here's the concept. If you actually want to help create general, uh, generational wealth and uh, get rich people to fucking pay their taxes, completely eliminate federal income tax. 100%. It needs to go away. It was never supposed to be permanent anyway. Um, but people are, you know, greedy and lazy. So here it is. Um, get rid of federal income tax, but instead instate a universal federal sales tax. That way the federal government will make more money. People will keep more money and will buy more stuff, which means the federal government gets more money. Win-win. Here's my counter argument for that. And yep. I'm going to provide a solution to it. Okay. I could see the ultra wealthy trying to skirt the tax by buying their products outside of America. With that said, add a tariff to purchases made outside of America from within the states when you do your taxes. So just like corporations get charged, this would also, in a sense, get people to buy American. Now, you're buying from Best Buy, who's buying that phone from Samsung, who makes it in Korea, but whatever. I just think we should have a flat income tax. And, you know, we determine whatever, 15%, let's say, if you make $1,000 a year, you pay 150 dollars in taxes for the year if you make a million dollars a year you pay what is that uh 1500 i don't know i'm blinking at this point uh 15000 or whatever you pay your 15% tax no tax breaks whatever just here's your flat tax rate that you pay on your income for the year so here's why i disagree with the flat income tax working the top pers- the top the wealthiest people in the country don't pay income tax and never will pay income tax 
I know. I saw Jeff Bezos it, technically only made $800,000 last year. Because one of the wealthiest persons in the world yeah. only he only made 800,000 cuz that's and, what he got paid for. And here's the biggest problem with income tax and here's the biggest scam on the American people is the income tax. Everybody argues that we need we need to have a progressive income tax because we need or we need to raise income tax blah blah blah. No matter what you do with income tax you are never going to get that money out of the top 1%. You're never going to get it out of the top 20% because the let's just go with the top 20% of, of wealth in America. Almost all of them are either in are either own their own business or high up positions, C-suite level of that business. When you own your own business, or work in the top of your business, the thing that is never taught in school and was never taught to me until I actually, you know, had my own business is that the profit and loss of the business, if set up properly, flows through you. So even if, and, and the way that a business can manipulate its profit and loss is astronomical. You could have a, I mean, let's be honest, Amazon has never Posted, made a profit has never made a profit which is bullshit but that's how the the tax and the company works if i make a hundred if i make a hundred million dollars in revenue but i invest you know 80 million back into the company and then i incur 30 million in expenses my company had a loss of 10 you know of 10 million dollars even though it's sitting on a billion dollars in the bank because that's the thing with corporate you know finances it's 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 doesn't matter how much money you have or the flow of the cash it matters how it falls on a balance sheet and as long as you do things right you can always flow through so the other thing is you know to go with that you're you know jeff bezos could technically take a million dollar paycheck but if the company lost uh, you know, $990,000 that year, his net income would only be $10,000. And guess what? He's getting a refund at that point. Like the problem with any type of income tax is you are never, ever going to get the top 20% to pay into the system, which I don't know why my light was freaking out. It's freaking out every time you move. I'm going to try. Maybe I got to stand too far back. Nope. For those listening, this is great. Um, and it's actually the light's not actually doing anything. It's just how the fucking camera is reacting to the light. Um, almost lost my train of thought, but I got it doesn't matter what you do with income tax. You're never going to get the top 20 percent. So what's going to happen is the government is always chasing getting that money from the top 20 percent, which means it is always going to be raising the income tax level for the poorest people which prevents them from getting generational wealth to your point of, well, rich people just buy things overseas. I think a tariff works or the other way is you have to pay a use tax. Um, technically. Uh, so we're in Rochester. You have Monroe County, which has sales tax at 8%. Ontario County has a sales tax of seven and a half percent. 
So it's cheaper to buy things at Eastview Mall. So someone who lives in Brighton goes to Eastview Mall. That same thing from Pittsburgh Plaza is going to be cheaper at Eastview Mall because the sales tax rate is less. Did you know at the end of the year on your taxes, you're supposed to list that difference and you're technically supposed to be paying that half percent? Yes, I did know that. So, but, but that's the, but no one does. No one ever does. And that was the thing with, um, you know, buying shit online before they came out with universal tax codes for online sales is you were supposed to be reporting everything you bought on Amazon back in the day and paying taxes on it. So theoretically a rich person buying their $8 million, you know, Gulf stream from France instead of from Tennessee, they would still have to pay tax on that to the government. And oh, the thing pre pre-tax internet was, amazing. I know it was, it was so good, but that's so good. That's why I argue that a, uh, universal federal sales tax is better than a, um, uh, federal income tax because the Uber wealthy, there's no, there's no loophole to get around paying sales tax. And the counter argument to universal sales tax is you're still disproportionately um, hurting the uh, lowest income because, you know, they're paying everything they buy is taxed. But my argument is you already have sales tax. So you're already, it's already disproportionately uh, hitting people, but you can mitigate that by not allowing a federal um, sales tax on things that aren't allowed a sales tax now. So food, unprepared goods, you know, and then I'd throw in there, you know, baby formula and diapers, you know, basically essentials shouldn't be taxed. Everything else put a flat, you know, two or 3% federal tax. And then if a state wants to put a little bit more on it, they can put a little bit more on it. A luxury tax almost. Yeah. Exactly. Let me ask you this because I am kind of sold on it, but there's a missing piece to it. Okay. And that's that there should be a sales tax on stonks, AKA stocks. Um, With that said, I've heard this idea thrown around that there should be a, a sales tax on stocks and it shouldn't be, where your standard sales tax is when you purchase the item, you pay your sales tax. But the sales tax on stock should actually be when you sell it. So if you want to buy 100 shares of a penny stock, you're going to pay nothing when you buy that stock. But if you go to sell that penny stock and let's say it's hit a dollar, you got a lucky penny stock, you're now going to be paying the sales tax on your sale of that stock. Um, with that said, I heard, you know, the idea I heard pitched was like, it's a 1% tax. It's not very high, but it would apply to all sales of stocks. So also these hedge funds that try to short sale stocks would be paying that 1% on their sale, their transaction. Um, you know, I, I know, to bring up Bezos again, the man only made 800000 last year, but he's so wealthy because so much of that exists in stocks, which he probably <laughs> trades on the daily. Right. Would you agree to a 
I, I would say it would be a significantly lower tax on a stock sale, but on something like that. I'm going to burst your bubble that already exists. It's called it's, a capital gains tax. But it's not really. Yes, it's exact. It's exactly what you're describing. If I buy a stock at a penny and I sell it for a dollar, I have to pay a percentage of basically the earnings which is essentially what you're describing. What I would, I liked where you were starting. I got really excited. I would rather pay a sales tax on the front end. Really? I would rather pay a sales tax on the front end of buying a stock and eliminate capital gains. If I buy a penny stock and I end up selling it at $2, good on me. Because what's going to happen is you're going to allow people to make so let's be honest this past year has been crazy for stocks we had the gamestop uh, right you have dogecoin and then you had all the bullshit that happened around it robin hood screwing over all of their people um all the platforms cramping down because what you really had was you had people who don't have a lot of wealth getting wealthy really quickly because they figured out the game and they beat the big guys at their own game by by taxing people on the back end you're preventing them from being able to roll everything forward and basically take their winnings out of it it's basically like saying you can go to the casino and you can gamble all you want but we're going to take a huge percentage of your winnings which i know they do but there's a reason why most people don't gamble because you know, what's the point of winning if you're going to take it away? Now, if you tax on the front end of buying a stock, um, you're still like, yes, you're not going to get a lot of money from the person who buys a penny stock and then cashes out big, but you're going to get a lot of money from the uber wealthy because when you're over a certain amount of wealth, you don't buy one stock. You buy a thousand shares of a stock. You're buying Tesla at 400 whatever dollars a share it's at or something. Right. And you're buying a thousand of them because the thought process is if the stock goes up a dollar, I just made a thousand dollars. I mean, there are, you know, there are services out there like Motley Fool and, you know, these investment websites, this is, you know, they're not a sponsor, um, uh, but there are investment websites that say, you know, don't sign up with us unless you're willing to buy you know, 10 shares minimum of any stock we recommend because you're not going to, you're not going to have the movement, you know, in the stock, you're not going to make the profit out of it. So I would rather pay a sales tax on the front end of buying a stock uh, rather than the back end, because I think you're going to allow people to keep more wealth. And I think it shouldn't be uh, restricted in any way. So it shouldn't be, you know, if I trade one stock for another, I should have to pay sales tax because right now that's a big way that people skirt around uh, capital gains is instead of cashing out the stock, they'll just transfer the stock into something else. And there are literally services out there that do something called tax harvesting, which is, uh, you know, these big investment firms, they'll buy 10,000 shares of a company that is on the rise. They'll then buy 10,000 shares of a stock that they know is dying. And what they'll do is, you know, they'll make 
$100,000 on stock A that went up. And then they'll sell it and they'll take their profit. But in stock B that went down, you know, let's say they lost 20000 or 30000 And they use that loss to offset the gain. And technically, a smart investor can constantly buy shitty stocks that are failing and just keep recording the losses and use the same money to just keep trickling and basically offset their gains, which you have to have a lot of money. You have to really understand what you're doing. Whereas if you have to pay a sales tax on the front end, you would never be able to skirt that. You'd never be able to play the game. You're always going to be paying into the system. And if you transferred one stock to another, I think you should have to pay sales tax. So I guess that's where I'm coming from is, you know, I I'm talking more of the people that transfer stocks, that there should be a tax even on that transfer when you're selling, selling one stock and buying another. So it's similar to your system that every single purchase of a stock should have a sales tax. Right. Maybe yeah, a I different say, sales tax than, you know, your standard product sales tax, but Right. Yeah, I say don't couple it, don't couple it to the sale, couple it to the purchase. Okay. I could go for that. A libertarian and a socialist agreed. What yes. is going on in the world? Oh well, god, this is why no one's watching us. Yeah, Aaron, for our zero viewers, this has been fun. Um <laughs> I need great. to get some sleep at this point because I got an all day bathroom remodel to work on tomorrow. <laughs> so with that, I will party oh. on for all the people that aren't watching with my strobe lights here. Yeah. And uh, you, you want me to, uh, to, to play us out with our, uh, our, our usual uh, uh, outro. Yeah. Saying, saying goodbye. Well, for all of our listeners that didn't turn in, tune into our live and uh you know thank thanks for that we love you too uh you know what in, in spite of uh you not supporting us uh we want you to stay safe drink responsibly and we'll see you next time at the tavern fuck it we're doing it live there's 